Welcome to twoquestions.tv. With me today is Jonathan Pellegrin, and we're talking about selling the family business. Twoquestions.tv. Brief questions, deep knowledge for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business owners. Welcome to twoquestions.tv. I'm Susan Barancini Mo. Joining me today is Jonathan Pellegrin, author of this book, The Art of Selling the Family Business. He's a magazine publishing entrepreneur and company CEO, a professor of entrepreneurship at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and a visiting lecturer at Harvard Business School. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome to the show. Hey, Susan. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm very happy to have you, and I'm going to do something completely unusual and going completely rogue. We're actually going to start with the bonus question today. <laughs> it's okay. never happened before. So, look. You didn't have to write a book. Let's be honest. You did, there was no reason to do that, but you did. And I know part of the reason why you put this book together, but would you share with our viewers why you decided to write this book? Okay. Um, I was in the publishing business for just under 30 years and I joined my father's company and he had one magazine. And, and I was really intrigued by the unique uniqueness of it. And, and I said, wow, I said, that's an idea that I replicate in other markets. So I've often said that he was like the McDonald brothers and I was like Roy Kroc. <laughs> and, and ex expanded it. And I, it usually takes three to five years to get a magazine into the black in five to seven years to make it profitable. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, or five to seven years to uh, get your investment back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they developed a system for launching magazines that the longest it ever took us to get our investment back was 17 months. And I didn't launch the magazine if I didn't have enough support in advance to make it profitable from the second issue on. So it was a great, it was a great system. But in the course of publishing business magazines, I learned a lot about businesses and a number of, of different industries. And one of the things that really, that really tugged at my heart or really gripped me was seeing once very, very successful companies lose their way and go broke. Mm -hmm. so families not only lost their companies, they lost their family wealth. And the communities were harmed. People were out of work and, you know, they didn't get the donations. It, it was just horrible seeing that. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I did is, is I had our editors go out and meet with people who had lost their companies. And it was cathartic for them to share their stories about, about what went wrong. And so, but I tucked away, I'm never going to have that happen to me. I'm not mm -hmm. caught in inertia that this is, this is what I do, this is my craft, I'm just going to keep my head down and keep operating my business. And as my business was growing, I... I put an outside board together. I'm a great believer in outside boards. I hope that you have one. <laughs> think about starting one. But um, I 
when I met with my board, they helped me think like an owner. And that meant to consider the wealth that I was building in the company. And that was very, very important. So in 1992, I served as chairman of our trade association and I went out and I visited, visited the 60 largest companies in our industry. And looming in the, on the horizon was the internet. Nobody knew what it was, how it would work, but a lot of people thought, this isn't necessarily going to be good for print publishers. <laughs> and, but nobody had an economic uh, model or anything that suggested how they could make money by converting to electronic publishing. So in, in early 1993, I, I got a real sense of how much my company was worth. And, and I reached the conclusion that there is no euphoria that I could ever enjoy to make it worth more money that would offset the despair that I would feel if it was ever worth less. Mm -hmm. And that was a pretty good calculus for saying, you know, Jonathan, maybe the time has come. And, and I decided to be a student of the process. And typically buyers of companies are far more experienced doing transactions, making acquisitions. They have teams that are, that are specialists. And people that sell businesses don't have that, they don't have the experience. They probably never, most have never done it before. And, and so I, I knew that I needed to have a level playing field. So I put together the best team that I could that I could find. And one thing that I had found with families that had sold their company, once they made the decision to sell, they thought, oh, well, this is great. The hardest thing that I had to do was deciding to sell. Now I can think about the rest of my life. And many started spending the money that they hadn't gotten. And in a number of cases, I saw the deals fall apart. Mm. It was just, it was excruciating for them to rebuild, to regain the trust of their employees, to, to do the things. So I said, this is my, the biggest deal I will ever be involved in, and I'm going to make sure I have a successful sale. Mm. I sold the company just before my 50th birthday, and I had no idea what I was going to do. <laughs> and I had an offer from a very fine graduate business school in Lausanne, Switzerland, the International Institute for Management Develop Development. And they invited me to spend a year there as a uh, executive in residence. And I was assigned to the family business department. So I went to the faculty meetings and and the faculty was just talking about it's such a failure when a company doesn't go generation to generation. And they, their mission was to help families be able to navigate the challenges, the unique challenges that family businesses 
face when they go from generation to generation. But I kept hearing over and over again, it was failure if they didn't go from generation to generation. Finally, one day I piped up and I said, you know, I don't think every business should go from generation to generation. There are some that just shouldn't because of successors, because of industry dynamics, because of all host of other reasons. But I really think that losing a fortune is failure. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think that you guys need to, you guys, and there, was, there were two ladies, and I said, you need to consider that. So the chairman of the department, I'm, I'm, I'm like 50, and he patted me on the head. And he said, oh, oh, Jonathan, that's a very interesting idea. Why don't you write an article about it? So I prepared an outline and took it to him. And he said, oh, that should be a doctoral dissertation. So to make a long story short, I got my doctorate. And I interviewed families that had the opportunity and they sold. I interviewed families that, that had the opportunity and didn't sell. And of those that didn't sell, I interviewed families that didn't sell and went on to be very successful with the next generation. I interviewed families that wished that they would have sold because they went broke. I mean, things just changed and they weren't prepared to, to deal with it. So, uh, so that's how I got involved in this. And I'm not necessarily a proponent of, of, of selling, but clearly I'm proponent of always being in a state of readiness to sell if conditions dictate that that should be done. Okay, so go ahead. Well, it's interesting because um, I, I did a little research and there's this you know lengthy list out there of of family businesses that have been in business for 46 generations since the year 500 or whatever. Right. And, and, but, but you said in your book that those are really the ones that kind of give us this illusion that family businesses should be multi-generational. And, and perhaps we should be of the mindset that you just said, which is this idea of readiness, that, that at some point we should be prepared to sell family businesses and I'm curious, what, why is that? When you have these stories of, you know, hundreds and, of, and hundreds and hundreds of years, the business has done well, but that's not really the majority. So, so why is it that some businesses, family businesses in particular, should, should be prepared to sell at any point? Okay, okay. Well, first, let me just touch on the families that go for many, many generations. <laughs> there are some things that they do. And number one, typically, there's a wealth generator in each generation. In other words, somebody that finds the golden nuggets that mm -hmm. then ban and take them to the next, to the next step. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that there are families that follow the principles of good management of, of family businesses, and they bring the young people in early and give them exposure to the businesses, but also celebrate independence. If they don't want to come in, they should go someplace else. And they prune the, fa the family tree. So in other words, they don't have a lot of family members hanging on, hanging on, clipping their coupons, getting their dividends, but not having any interest in, in 
contributing to the family in a, in, in a productive way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what I tell families is number one, you need, if you're going to be a responsible owner, you need to know what's going on in your industry. You need to know what the competitive climate is. You need to know what technology is coming in. You need to know if your industry is expanding, growing, or if it's consolidating. So you have to be involved. You have to be involved in your trade association. You have to know your competitors. You have to know your competitors' customers. You have to talk to them to find out what their basis of the buying decision is, why they buy from a competitor rather than from you. You have to constantly be doing things that to gather your base of knowledge about the industry that you're, that, that you're serving. The next thing that you should carefully monitor, and I think it should be done at least every year, but every two years, at least at some frequency, you need to know the value of your business. Mm -hmm. And that's important so that you can do the calculus of saying, okay, if I were to sell my company, would we be able to maintain at least the same standard of living that we had or more? So, you know, that we could do, that we could do better. So you have to know the value of the company and you have to monitor it. The next, the next thing that you need to do is you have to gauge your family's ability to stay in the game. <laughs> that means, number one, how much debt capacity does the family have if it's, if it's imperative that they invest in new technology, if they have mm. to invest in a bigger plant, if they have to expand geographic, all those things cost money. Then the first choice is to, if they know they're right, is to do it with, with borrowed, borrowed money from banks. And um, otherwise, if, if they're going to need money and they either can't borrow it or they're unwilling to accept more risk, they have to bring in investors. And how capable is the company to bring in outside investment? They need to think about that. Mm -hmm. The next thing that they have to think about is what's our, what's our management capability? And every business is going to change hands because nobody has figured out a way of preventing death. And business owners, business CEOs, they die. We don't want to believe that, but we do. <laughs> and the question that I always ask a lot of people that are afraid to think about a transition to the next generation or a transition to selling their companies, I say, it's going to happen. It's going to happen to your company. And if you want to wait until you die and not have control over the decision, that's great. A lot of people want to do that. Because some people even think they can continue to run their company from the grave. But I don't, I don't subscribe to that. So is there management capability? And do the future generations have either the interest or the talent to be able to take the company forward? Next is how much tolerance for risk do they have? Because if they have a good idea, 
that there's a demand curve from their, for their company, that there will be buyers that would be willing to spend money to buy their companies, and they know what the value is, they can say, okay, I can lock that in now, but there could be something bad that happens mm. in my industry, just as it happened to the print business. There are a lot of once really successful daily newspapers that are out of business. They're gone. They just, they vanish. They're, they're finished. Yeah. And finally, what is the level of family unity that wants to support and continue to own the family company and, and do the things that are necessary and not totally be dependent on dividends, but forego dividends when that's, when that's necessary. So that's kind of the, the asset test for being prepared to sell when it's ever necessary to sell. Okay. You know, um, it's interesting. Whenever I have an opportunity to interview someone who is an expert in family business, I ask some variation of the question, somebody's watching today, this show, and they've been building a business that they created at least in part to leave something to their children someday, to pass down in the family business. And, and after reading a couple of books, in, and, and I haven't read a lot of books in this subject, so it's always been very interesting. Anytime one comes across, I'm like, ah, let me read it really quick. This is fantastic. And so I get excited because it's an area I don't have tons of knowledge in. Um, a little experience, but not tons of, of book knowledge in. Um, but but it occurs to me that that the consistent message from from every expert in this area is the message that you too have have suggested is that you can't force your kids to be in your business. And if you have this idea that you're going to pass the business down and have the multi-generational business, you may be pigeonholing, pigeonholing your kids into something they don't really want to do anyway. And so, like you just said, you have to let them be independent and have their own ideas and, you know, be willing to, to know that the business may change. What would you say is the one thing that someone who is starting their business or they've been building a business and they've been wanting something that they could pass down or leave to their kids, what's the one thing that they should absolutely be sure of or know? That they should be sure of? Yeah, before they before they pass on into the great ether, before they... <laughs> they should be sure that they have passion for what mm. they're more than anything else. And for a lot of founders, necessity is the mother of invention. Now, what do I mean by that? They were fired. They were fired from their jobs, and they had a skill set. And they said, what do I do? I'm 40 three years old and I've just been fired. I know how to do this and I can compete. And often because a founder of a business wasn't treated very well by the company that he left, he not only has his expertise to, to develop and operate his business, he has a passion to kick the crap out of the company that didn't treat him. <laughs> and, and there there are often stories about people who have done an unbelievable job building wealth for the owner, but weren't recognized for the wealth that they were building. And finally, they got tired of it. They didn't get bonuses. They didn't get 
stock or shadow stock or whatever, then it was time for them to leave. So those those kinds of things are far more important than thinking about the next generation because they don't know if they'll even make it. So they've got to stay focused on, on getting and keeping customers. They've got to stay focused on making sure that the revenue they generate exceeds expenses and that they have an adequate capital base to provide working capital and, and uh, investment capital so that they can sustain sustain their enterprise. So I, I believe that founders, the question is not, I want to build this for my kids when they get started. The question is, do I have the capability and the passion and the skill sets to be a success? So that's, that, that's really number one. The next thing, and you touched on it, that often, um, passing a business along to the next generation is passing a burden more so than a, than a gift. And today more than ever, young people, frankly, are better informed and smarter than the previous generations. The access that young people have through the internet, social networking, all of these things, they're just gathering so much information and they know so much more. They have far more sophistication. They're more socially adept because they've been doing that. I mean, I, I lived on a farm, I was raised on a farm. <laughs> and, and my nearest friend lived eight miles away. I mean, so my brother and I had to make our own fun. And now, you know, that's all over. And uh, so I think that every business owner should, should celebrate his child's independence when he doesn't want to go into the business. Now, I, my daughter uh, was on our internship program. We had a very robust internship program at our company. And she worked, worked there in one of the publishing groups. And everybody in the company loved her. And they thought, oh my God, she's so smart. She's a yada, yada, yada. We have a third generation CEO. This is all perfect. <laughs> And so she went to New York after she finished school and, and was able to get a job. She worked for one of the major uh, advertising agencies. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, uh, well, she said that she was hitting her snooze alarm too many times in the morning. <laughs> so we had dinner one night in New York and she said, Dad, I, I, I really don't know how to tell you because I was excited. We talked on the phone every day when she was in New York and she knew everything that was going on in the business because it was part of my preparing her for, for coming in. And she said, I don't know how to tell you this, but publishing is my destiny. My, my grandfather is in it. My uncle is in it. You're in it. And it's not my passion. And I want to be a teacher. And okay. I wondered what it was because I don't remember you saying in the book 
what she yeah. did. I remember you saying she didn't go into the business, but I didn't know what it was. All right. It was, it was, really bitter, it was bittersweet. Mm -hmm. but, but one of the things she said is I was raised with a lot of affluence. I mean, when I wanted shoes, I bought shoes. Right. And I'm afraid that by making the decision to be a teacher, I'm not going to have enough money to buy the shoes that I want. And I said, Amy, I'm so proud of you. Money to buy shoes is not going to be a problem. And, and I am so proud of you that I am thrilled to be a patron because every kid that has you for a teacher is going to be such a beneficiary and you're going to make a much bigger social contribution that, than I ever have or ever will be able to. So the fact that you get business or you, that you get compensated when the company is sold, don't feel guilty about that because you're doing something that's really, that's really noble. And a lot of business owners, it happens to them and they celebrate it in the same way and be so proud of their kids that they're pursuing their, their passions, their dreams, and so forth. And a lot of, a lot of kids that, not, not kids, but young adults that are working in the family business, and they start to realize, you know, I'm not really happy living my grandfather's dream. Yeah, yeah. I want to live my own dream, and and they've had experience, and they leave, and they and they start their own companies, and you know I think that that's tremendously successful, and everybody should be happy, happy and proud about that. Indeed. Okay, the other thing. So if the next generation isn't interested or they don't have the capabilities. Um, you always should be looking at the fundamentals of the business to say, wait a minute, is this helping us build wealth or is it detracting our wealth? And does continued ownership seem to make economic sense for a family or should we consider selling and diversifying our, our portfolio of wealth? And that, those are serious questions that should be uh, that should be considered. Indeed. Um, we're probably running out of time, right? <laughs> well, I, I would like to have you back to talk a little bit more about the sort of emotional side of selling a business. I think that would be an interesting topic for another show. I think we could tackle this in a whole other way. All right. I, I'm, would you I'm, come back? I, I'm happy to do that. I love it. I love it. Let's do it. Okay. All um, right. All right. Do you want to cover now or does that do it? Well, I've already gone rogue and asked you a bonus question. I'm technically not allowed. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely wonderful. I've really enjoyed it. I did too. Thank you very much, Susan. All right, viewers, here's the book, The Art of Selling the Family Business. We're going to have a link to Amazon where you can pick up your copy so that you see all of this stuff in here, the wonderful wealth of knowledge distilled down. So thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. This has been twoquestions.tv. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, learn more about the show, the guests, and our host, Susan Barancini-Mo, visit us at www.twoquestions.tv.